This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, an interview with actor Peter Purvis. here and I'm glad you're with me for this special edition of the Doctor Who podcast. Looks like I've got the camper van to myself today. I uh, had a surprise and sudden urgent message from James today delivered direct to me here in uh, America via the special Doctor Who podcast transdimensional intercontinental carrier pigeon. Well, the message let me know that here waiting for me in the camper van was a, a special interview with Doctor Who actor Peter Purvis. Seems that uh, James and Leeson recently had the opportunity to go to the Hooverville convention, and one of the folks that they got to chat with was Peter Purvis, who played companion Stephen Taylor to the first Doctor, William Hartnell, back in the 60s. He played uh, Stephen Taylor from uh, 1965 to 1966 in stories from The Chase to The Savages. I was especially happy to hear that James and Leeson had a chance to talk with Peter because recently I have been working my way through the first Doctor stories. Obviously, I wasn't a Doctor Who fan and wasn't even alive back in 1965 and 1966, but uh, have vowed to start back from the beginning and make my way through the Doctor Who canon. And I have gotten recently into the Stephen Taylor era and have really been enjoying it. Now, Peter Purvis also featured as a presenter on the, on the program Blue Peter, and I understand a lot of folks over in England know him first for that. I think I have an advantage going into the old Doctor Who stories because I, I, I don't have any other connection with, with Peter Purvis, so it's my chance to discover him just as Stephen Taylor. And as I've been working my way through the, the TV episodes as well as some big finish work that he has done, I have discovered that I am a real Stephen Taylor fan. So uh, let's go ahead and take a listen. Yes, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we now have the great pleasure of being joined by Mr. Peter Purvis. Stephen Taylor, everybody. Thank you very much. How annoying is it to be referred to as Stephen Taylor? Um, Not not even remotely annoying. No, it's it's very nice that something you did is either liked or at least remembered. I mean, lots of things people do and never heard of again. So it's quite nice that something I did... (laughs) <laughs> uh, years ago is is really quite rewarding to uh, to be affectionately spoken of. Ah, well, g- given that it is nearly fifty years, you said it first, so I'm okay with saying it. Uh, how, how vivid are your memories of working with with the first Doctor, William Hartnell? The, the memories come back, but until I remade some of the audio versions of the the missing episodes hmm. of mine, and then eventually completing all of them, very little was in, in the mind. I remembered very little of it. I remembered a few isolated incidents, 
but for the most part, I didn't really remember it at all. They came back as the episodes came back, and you said, oh, yeah, we did that and that, and I remember that little bit of filming and that bit and so on. And certainly the people that you worked with, they'd gone out of your mind, forgotten about, and then they come back and you're, oh, yeah. You know, so things like this in The Celestial Toymaker with Carmen Silvero. I had a great time with her. She was so funny. You know, she, was, she was witty, amusing, such fun to be with. Took the mickey out of me unmercifully. Brilliant. She was great. And things like that you've totally, totally forgotten about. So um, luckily, because we were able to, the, the audio existed, we were able to remake the, them as uh, sort of mini radio plays. It was really nice to to get the memories back. It's a, it's, a, it's an opening of a door, really, in lots of ways. So, to what degree, um, speaking or does speaking to Doctor Who fans at conventions like this um, bring back memories that that are new to you? They're getting the new memories are getting fewer because you you, hmm. you find yourself repeating stories that and, you know you've only got so many stories <laughs> you can tell, and I have done now quite a few of these. Hmm. Uh, I, I try to put a slightly different twist on it, and always I, I don't have anything rehearsed to say. So I, if I'm talking about something which I have talked about before, I'd probably come at it from a slightly different angle, and I might have different bits that I add in which are in parenthesis that, that add to it that I haven't said before. But for the most part, it's very hard to find new memories now. Every now and again, there's something goes, oh, I've forgotten all about that. Like a discovery of a lost episode, perhaps. Like, and, and that was amazing because mm. I had forgotten the storyline, even though I'd remade the thing. I'd <laughs> forgotten the storyline again. That's how little impact it had on me, I suppose. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the third episode of uh, Galaxy 4 that turned up, mm. it was fascinating to watch and to see those... Uh, the, the, the scenery was so dodgy. There was a, a, a place where... Um, Vicky and the Doctor sort of keep on running to this thing they can't get through the, the gate that is stopping them is mesh but the mesh is about three feet wide <laughs> there's no I mean Vicky could have walked through it never mind crawled through it I mean, just, so silly things like that these, are, these would not imprison anybody uh, if they were determined to get out, you could get out of all of them. And, of course, the wobbles on the set and all those sort of things. Those are terribly evident. The sad thing, I suppose, is that because they clean these up and they're now digitised so well, you end up with a, um, a an image that is far better mm. than the original image that was transmitted and far better than the picture that the director would have seen in the control gallery because, the, you know, the scanning system was so poor. They've digitised these things up and improved them so much, they've enhanced them so much that you see a lot of things that the audience would never have seen nor anybody else which oh dear if we'd have seen that that would have been cut out of course it wouldn't have been cut mm. out because we couldn't afford the edits so there are so many things there that uh, I, I suppose it just shows the the, the 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 mechanics of the piece if you like I'm which sure. again is quite fun I suppose some things do work better on audio after all, perhaps. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and if you can visualise them afterwards, that, that's actually a lot of fun. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But no, I think you're right. I think one of the things um, that is common to all of the new DVDs, certainly of the 60s era, is that you can see things in much better clarity than the audience would have done when they were watching it at the time. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, 405 Lines was a dreadful system, mm. a terrible scanning system. Uh, I can remember, I think it's an episode of The, the Chase, um, where... Uh, Vicky and the Doctor are uh, on a, in sand hills and there's a hole appears in the ground. What you can actually see on the cleaned up version now is the palette 
that was there masking right. the edge of the hole and you can see the bits of canvas and stuff which were the the covering which ought to have been earth and sand and all the rest of it you can see it quite clearly you've never seen that before it well i better go visible. and watch for that now certainly mm. <laughs> well, you can't miss it it's so obvious when you see it you go oh yeah that's awful oh. <laughs> so you didn't it wasn't any overseas filming there it wasn't tunisia or anything no no no, no. <laughs> if we if we filmed on sand to my memory it was edinburgh council sand pit <laughs> Um, and uh, I think we did The Savages there, and I think we did something else there as well. The, the most exotic filming we did was night filming at French and Ponds for um, the Myth Makers. Oh, yes. I had a, a wonderful sword fight with Barry Ingham hmm. uh, on the, the edge of French and Ponds on the sands there. That was, that was quite exotic filming. The rest was done in anything else, I think, seeing the elephant and the snakes and all the animals in the ark, that was done in, on a set in uh, Ealing Studios. And I think there's a sequence in the Dalek master plan where we're bobbing up and down, that was done on trampolines of Ealing as well. But that's about the extent of our exotic filming. Wow. Okay. On the subject of the, of the much lamented lost episodes, the wipings, how does it feel as a performer to, to have had that sort of body of work uh, lost so that you can no longer go back and dip into it? It didn't worry me until I realised that it had happened. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. They never got repeated. Hmm. I can't remember that they were ever shown again. I mean, I, th I think it was 1999 or 1997 they showed the, the Time Meddler again, the whole series. And I thought, well, that stood up pretty well. And that was the first time it had been repeated in all the time since I'd been in it. So that was 40 years nearly. It's, it, it, it's weird. It, it, now, I, I think, oh, what a shame. I can, but I can understand the reason that it was done. There wasn't, they couldn't store the stuff. They needed, the tape was very expensive. They needed to reuse the tapes. So they wiped them to reuse them. Mm. It was as simple as that. And it was only through the... And, and funnily enough... No original tapes exist, none. Mm. Not, not a single two-inch tape of Doctor Who remains, certainly not from my, my time. The only things that ever did remain were the telecine copies that had been made to sell them abroad. Mm. And that, uh, again, a reduction in quality you got from that. So they were in pretty poor state. So anything that we get now that's cleaned up, you're seeing them in far better form than they were ever seen before. Uh, it's... It, I wish I could see some of them again because it, yeah. it would be nice to see the performance. For the most part, I never saw them when they first went out mm. because uh, I, I would, I'd been working. I might have been opening a fate or, or something like that. You know, uh, Saturday nights, who's going to be in at the age of 25, 26 <laughs> yeah. in London on a Saturday night? You're out. So Even though you're on the telly, you're out. So you never saw it because you couldn't record it. Do you know there's a whole group of people in London on a Saturday night now still? in front of their televisions, <laughs> I can promise you. Some things don't change. <laughs> is, is there a particular lost story that you would you, know, you want more to be returned? If you had an option, which well, one? Well, no, nothing exists of the massacre. I'd love mm. to see that because that was a, that was a big part for me. Um, that would have been nice. For entertainment, the uh, Celestial Toymaker yes. would be very nice because it was a fun idea. Things like the Crystal Maze came straight out of that. You know, <laughs> those, those, those sort of television shows just came out and watching that. I remember Leslie Judd, who was in Blue Peter with me, did a series later which was about 
kids having these tests where they had to get from place to place, not otherwise they would vaporise mm. whatever it was, straight out from the from the celestial toy making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's right. Yeah. It was yeah. So uh, all those sort of things came from there, which uh, so it must have been quite entertaining, and it must have left its mark on people. Um, what else? The Myth Makers, which mm. I loved, mm. and had terrific actors in it. You know, had uh, had Barry Ingham, had uh, Max Adrian, uh, who's the girl who played the soothsayer. Um, I mean, great, superb actors, really good quality stuff, and things like that. Yes, I'd like to see mm. those again. But then, when when you do see the ones that do exist, certainly the Time Meddler, there were a lot of faults in that. I don't think my performance was much cop in that, but that was my first full series. Yeah. I quite like. You've been hard on yourself. Oh, you're very kind. But uh, I mean, I, I I quite like my performance as Stephen in the last episode of The Chase. Mm. Uh, I thought that worked. And funnily enough, I liked myself as as Morton Dill. Mm. I thought that yeah. was fun. And you know, it's it's, it's hard to watch yourself objectively and sort of you know there's a sort of glow of pride that you did it but actually you can watch it oh dear that was awful but actually I was I was quite pleased I was pleased with my timing I was pleased with the accent I was pleased with the performance I, I, how it looks is how I remembered it was supposed to be so I got what I meant it to be whether anyone else wanted that is it, it's, it's a matter of debate um, the the uh, the gunfighters stands up far better than I ever thought it did. I hated it at the time, mainly because of the song, which I, which I couldn't bear. How does, that, how does that go again? I can't <laughs> tell you. Oh. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of uh, doing it. I mean, I wish I could because it was so awful, uh, but I can't. Um, but it, it stands up. It's good stuff. And I just wish that I'd enjoyed it more at the time, and I think I would have been funnier. I put in a few little bits. There's one or two little trips and trip over my own spurs and things. <laughs> They're very, you know, it's understated comedy, which I was aware of, but it could have been more and if if I really thought about it enough. So, you know, this is like weekly rep. We're mm, doing a play. Cool. We went in on a Monday. Uh, we blocked the thing. You're blocking it for television, which is very technical. Um, so you're doing all that sort of stuff. I'm working out the performance. You've got to learn the song. You've got to do all this. You've got to know all that sort of stuff goes on. By the Thursday, you've got no script. You've got not allowed to carry your scripts. You're doing technical runs for the, the technical people, for the lighting guys, the sound guys, and all the rest. And on the Friday, you're in the studio blocking it for the cameras. And on the Friday evening, you record it. That's the schedule. Mm. It's tight. And it's, you know, it's as live. Quite nerve-wracking. No, not as tough as, as Weekly Rep by any means, but tough for television it was tough. So uh, it, it, you couldn't be certain that you'd done what you intended to, but the character in my mind was fairly well set. So I, I, I was quite happy with, with I was pleased with the, with the end result of that. Mm. I quite like my performance in the arc as well, which which exists in its entirety, but it's such a, a crummy piece. It's, it's mm. really awful. And it's a shame because it's a great story. It was a very clever story. Well, what did you say it's a crummy piece? Because it was badly done. It's badly made. Um, didn't have the money. The, the design was rotten. The performances weren't very good either, I didn't think. Um, I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes. But I, I, I thought the, 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 the no joke about the monoids there, uh, then. Well, the, the monoids and, and some of the principal other actors, I thought, were very... It was weak. Mm. It was weak. And I know Michael Iverson was, was embarrassed by it. Of course, he lost mm. his job for it anyway. But that was the end of him at the BBC, which was a shame. Um, nice man, Michael. Met him since. Mm. And uh, he filled me in on some of the things I didn't know. I didn't know he was fired. Actually, in the control gallery before we recorded the final episode. Really? Uh, nice guy, John Wiles sacked him. 
Wow. So you, you talk about the punishing schedule of, of making a program like that in, in those days. How did that manifest itself in, in sort of the principal cast? Were, were there strains that, that showed? No, no. We loved it. We were no. having fun. We were having fun. I mean, the strains were there with Bill Hartnell because Bill couldn't remember his lines mm. and he would get really crabby if, if it wasn't going right for him and he used to lose his temper very easily. Mm. Uh, but he was, I mean, for me, he's the doctor. And I mean, lots of people disagree with me, and certain people of a certain age who, who did not see him first. You know, they came in with Trout, or they came in with John Pertwee. But I grew up with Bill, and mm. he was my doctor. And then I joined the show, and I worked with him. For me, he's the doctor, and there'll never be another. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, I think Matt Smith is as near to being someone who would grow into Bill Hartnell <laughs> as anyone that has ever been. Mm. Uh, I think I think he I think he was a very good selection. As the Doctor, and it's his last series, isn't it? Mm. It starts today. Well, oh, oh, is that inside knowledge? It starts knowledge? today. Stop and we're interviewing yeah. you now, right? No, <laughs> <laughs> no wonder. But I mean, no, it, it's interesting how you talk about almost the cyclical nature of the way uh, the Doctor's been characterised, you know. And uh, Matt Smith, I think, does draw some bits and pieces from from um, William Hartnell quite quite clearly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with that in mind, and talking about William Hartnell, the first Doctor, we're going to ask you the same question we've asked everybody else: fiftieth anniversary around the door. Could there be a return for Stephen Taylor? Um, well, I'd love there to be. Um, and I've, I've got a nice little storyline that it could be. But seeing the way that, that the show is done now, which I find not easy to follow. I find, it very, I find the stories complex. I, I like the linear fashion that we did them in the old days. I know it's old-fashioned, but I, quite, I, I like a narrative. And we don't get that kind of narrative now. And I, I can't <clears> see, I don't think Stephen Moffat really thinks that I'd be welcomed back. I don't, I don't mean, you know, in any way other than as a, as a character. I don't, I don't think he can visualise it being worth bringing back. I just got that feeling because I have said to him, I'd love to do it again. <laughs> but with this being the 50th next year, you never know. Whether or not he comes back as Stephen, I said, I'll come back as somebody else. <laughs> you know, I don't look particularly like Stephen anymore. I'm, I'm far too old, so you want an old codger in there. I'm more no, than but happy to he play was that. left as the king of the planet, a leader, so he could have just got older. Well, he, he, could, he could indeed. I mean, my, my view for the storyline for it was always I, I, that, that Stephen stayed, as, uh, as we know, and uh, he became a despot. He changed, and so instead of being uh, being this good guy who was going to make it right for people, power goes to his head, and he changes completely. So, so when the doctor revisits the planet, he's the despot. Please suggest that as a companion mm -hmm. chronicle. I've, it's, it's Simon Gary has got it in his. Right. Or Simon's got it. Right. Uh, whether or not he'll do yeah. it, I've, I've said it to lots of people. I, I just think it's a nice story idea. Uh, but I, the, the, the scripts for the Companion Chronicles have been sensational. Mm. I've had some wonderful ones. The last two I've done have been fantastic. And the trilogy idea of Simon's were, were just. I, I loved every second of them. The uh, Anachronauts, which is out now, and there's another one coming, which I can't talk about because it's not out yet, is The Return of the Rocket Men, yeah. which, uh, by God, I love it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not, love it. That's not a John Dorney script. That's no, the first one was. So, yes, and you're smiling at me, which means you can't tell me who I can't tell you anything. Wonderful. Okay. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> How hard was it coming back to playing Stephen? Not no. hard at all. Not at all? No. I, I dropped into it. Now, whether or not... I mean, other people will have to judge whether I do it right. I don't know. I've had nothing but good feedback. Very few people have... Well, in fact, nobody hmm. has said we didn't like it. 
Now, why would they, I don't think people hate me enough to want to come to my face. <laughs> Your stuff's bloody rubbish. We hate it. I, I, I wouldn't expect that. And I, I haven't really had that. Uh, but I've had an awful lot of people who've, who've been very complimentary about, certainly about the trilogy. They thought that was, you know, the, the mm, dog's bollocks, mm, if you mm. like. And th there were a couple of early ones that I did when I was not perhaps as experienced at doing it as I am now. The suffering, which I did with uh, with Maureen. Yep. Uh, well, actually, I didn't do it with Maureen because she wasn't there when, <laughs> when I did it. We did it, we did them separately. Um, and uh, the very first one, I did, Mother, Mother Russia. Russia. Yeah. Which, which I love. My Russian accent stinks, and I wish I'd taken more time over it. I, 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 to, to be absolutely honest, I did not do sufficient, excuse me, I didn't do sufficient preparation on it. I could have done more, and if I had, I'd have been better. Hmm. It still works, but I could have done it better. Well, one of the things I think is very evident from the Companion Chronicles, uh, particularly from Simon's scripts, is how they've developed the character and uh, he, he wasn't just this uh, a, a standard companion he, he had skills he was a physicist he and, was a and space Simon pilot. made the point of, of wanting to use those mm. I remember when he was telling me he said I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing one where we're going to make use of you I said okay. <laughs> but I, I knew what he meant and he, he meant that we were going to make use of the fact that he was a space pilot and technically able and all those sort of things and of course he has mm. and, uh, and that's been very good and the return of the rocket men is, which wasn't his of course no. It's also that's that's a, that's even better than Simon's. Let's just say it. we've had Simon. Well, no, 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 no. I, I mean, I, I think Simon is just a joy to write, to 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 read, to play. Hmm. He writes, and I, I would like to take a little bit of credit for this, but only a little, because my impression, I won't call it an impersonation of Bill Hartnell, has got better and better. Yes, He's yes, written more yes. and more for Bill to say, mm. which of course I have to do. But I think that it's acceptable. When I've listened to them, even I don't find myself worrying that that's not really the Doctor. And that is, I mean, I'm paying myself a compliment there, which is a little bit arrogant. No, I always agree with you. But, <laughs> but I, think that, I think that people generally have viewed it that way, that it's an acceptable thing. It's not meant to be an impersonation, but it's an impression of him that works and it fits. And I, I'm really quite proud of that. I like that. And I think, as I say, as Simon had the confidence in my being able to do that, he could write things for the Doctor that would work mm -hmm. in these stories where I don't have to say the Doctor said... Mm -hmm. We don't do that. No, not anymore. We never do. The no. doctor just says it. They are one of the most wonderful parts of, of those as audio plays. Is that, as you say, it's not an impersonation; it's, it's an impression. It's, a, it's an impression. You get the essence. Uh, well, that's what I try to do. I, I, th I think I get fairly close to. I feel like him, you know, when when, when I'm doing. No, but I, I, when I'm doing his voice, mm. I I, re I do the gestures as well. When I, my hands are around the face, and you know, I I, I when I'm acting, I do actually act it in front of the microphone. It sounds pretentious, mm. but I am doing that because that helps me be him. Mm. And, and so I, I get away with it. Yeah, I get away with it. It does all come across on the audios. You know, is that something that you, um, that when you found out you were required to do the Bill lines, or, or the First Doctor lines, that you uh, sat down to, to come up with that? Or, or is, had you always... I just, I just went them? for it. But, but that's, that's partly my rep training, you know, as, a, as an actor. When, when, I, when I trained in, in... Well, I didn't train, but I, I worked in rep. And, and doing a lot of plays, doing 96 plays in two years, which is a huge amount wow. of plays. Some of them were small parts, some of them were big parts, some of them were appropriate some were inappropriate some I was good some I was crap uh, th th that was fine but the whole point about weekly rep was on day one you have and that's probably only the second time you've seen the script because you read it on the Sunday and then on the Monday you start rehearsing and then mm. the following Monday you're on you're on stage performing it you had to latch onto a character very very quickly and I was very good at that 
I could find something that that's who I'm going to play. I wasn't still struggling on Thursday or Friday trying to work out who the character was. Mm. I latched onto it on day one, good or bad, and played that. So if it was rubbish, if it was a bad interpretation, it's a bad interpretation. But you stuck with it because you had to have something solid to work with. And I think that that also is how I tackled Mm. Bill. I'm going for it. And... For better or worse, that's what you get. And it works. It, it works. does work. No, it does, it does work. absolutely. Peter, thank you very much indeed for spending just a short time talking to us about your time on Doctor Who. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Peter Peter Well, what a treat to get to listen to that. And I'm, I'm, as usual, envious of James and Leeson for having the chance to go and be there in person. Uh, Hooverville seems to be a really special convention. Uh, One of the things that uh, seems great about it is that it is very podcaster friendly. My understanding is a number of the podcasters get together there and they uh, share interview time with the different guests that appear at the convention. So it sounds all too civilized and fraternal to me, but it's such a delight to hear the output that comes from that. Well, okay, this interview with Peter Purvis, some thoughts. Um, yeah, good to hear him. And I would agree, if, you, if you're looking for some way to get to know the character of Stephen Taylor a little, I would strongly recommend the Big Finish audios that, that he's been in. And he mentioned in, in particular a trilogy. Uh, sometimes I, I've heard it called the Oliver Harper trilogy, uh, the name of a, of a companion that was invented by Simon Garrier and Big Finish uh, for the, that trio of audios. They're really good audios. I particularly recommend the second one, Cold Equations. But don't listen to it until you've listened to the first one in the trilogy, which is called The Perpetual Bond, because that sets up some of the uh, storylines and some of the reveals that then happen in The Cold Equations. But Cold Equations is one of my all-time favorite Big Finish audios, actually. As for the television work, this was a time in the in the show when William Hartnell was struggling a little with his memory, uh, and he was never really designed to be sort of the action hero. And Stephen Taylor kind of took that role on, kind of the... Um, the young male lead, if you will. And uh, one of the things I like about Stephen Taylor is just that he's a decent fella. He is a good fella, and I enjoy watching him. It's interesting, uh, Peter Purvis mentioned the idea of having a storyline return to the place that uh, Stephen Taylor was left as a king and find him a despot many years later. To be honest, I'm not sure I would want his story to go in that direction uh, because he's just such a decent person. That would be a, a departure of the character for me. But what do I know? I'm sure if Simon Garrier writes it that it'll be wonderful. Also interesting, some of the other television work that he mentioned. Uh, boy, I recommend Time Mendler. That's one of my favorite stories, uh, not only from the first Doctor era, but from all the Doctors era. That's a fun one. Also, I have to respectfully disagree with uh, with Peter in terms of the arc. I really quite enjoy the arc. Yes, the monoids are a strange race that wasn't particularly well realized, but the story is really an interesting concept. And uh, I thought the performances were just fine. I enjoyed the primary guest characters. Some of them clearly were, were actors that were more familiar with stage work, but um, that doesn't tend to bother me too much when it comes across on screen. So... Uh, it was a great story for Stephen Taylor. I recommend taking a look at the arc, uh, particularly to get a, a feel for the character of Stephen. And the one last one I want to comment on is the Gunfighters. I just recently listened to the Gunfighters, to the audio version of it. Yes, there is that doggone song that uh, Peter Purvis refers to here, and it is 
really annoying. Um, it comes in again and again and again, and you just can't get it out of your head. And one of the the story actually is somewhat interesting. I'd like to revisit it sometime. Uh, uh, but that story, that song, does go in and out throughout the entire thing. And I guess the uh, the danger. Here's the consumer warning that I will give you is that uh, having finished The Gunfighters a couple of weeks ago, I just cannot get that darn song out of my head. And uh, it's not that good a song, so uh, be forewarned. But uh, it's worth uh, worth taking a look at. Well, that's probably enough time for me spent lounging around here in the uh, camper van uh, and maybe enough time for now spent on uh, classic Doctor Who. I mean, gee whiz, we've got new Doctor Who coming. How many hours till the next Matt Smith episode. This is a, a great time of year. Uh, enjoy your listening. Enjoy your watching. Feel free to send us any comments that you may have uh, at uh, feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com. Please join us on, uh, on the forum to share your thoughts on the new series or share your thoughts on Stephen Taylor and Peter Purvis. Now if I could just get that song out of my head. On your way, the new cowboys, the time will be soon When there's blood upon the sawdust in the last chance That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter facebook and via the doctor who podcast forums thank you for listening take care